It's Tuesday, July 21st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Mark Reith, and joining me in studio today from UK Champion Shares, Mike Olson, and from Motley Fool Pro, JP Bennett. Gentlemen, happy Tuesday. Hello, sir. Thanks for having me. Thanks for being here. It's a uh, pleasure to see you both. It is indeed a you pleasure. Know what? It's uh-huh. always fun when yes. you guys are around. Uh, we've got plenty to talk about today. Earnings season continues to roll on. We've got a lot of big companies reporting. One of the biggest in the computing business, IBM, announced second quarter results late Monday. Mike, tell us a bit about uh, IBM's quarter. What what did you see? Did you like it? Did you not like it? And why? Okay, so this is a quarter that is very ugly on headlines. Mm. Um, you've got mid-teens revenue declines and mid-teens earnings per share declines. A uh, significant part of that is IBM very intelligently shed some of its more commoditized server lines mm-hmm. last year. That makes the year-over-year comparison a bit difficult. And they also got hit by currency, which is sort of a recurrent theme among US-centric companies that have a big percentage of international sales. Right. When you go out and you look beneath the numbers, there still are challenges. IBM has been trying to go ahead and transition itself from what has historically been more of a hardware-focused company to one which is software-focused. Mm-hmm. And in the process, there are, of course, going to be some fits and starts. Underlying, when you look at their strategic imperatives business, which is really analytics, software, engagement, they're up 30%. Uh, the core hardware businesses, which some of these these are mainframes and everything, and so when you look at businesses, they're heavily, heavily entrenched on account of that. They're you know, the revenues are relatively sticky. You're looking at only single digit revenue declines. And so the question you're asking yourself here is can IBM use its incumbency to sort of reinvent, grow these new product lines? And how much are you paying for that? Hmm. Right now, you're not paying a tremendous sum for that. The growth is relatively good, and the rate of decline in their legacy businesses is sort of slowing. And so, you know, this isn't a great quarter, but it's, you know, you kind of wonder whether or not there are some green shoots here because right. I don't right. I don't really think IBM is going anywhere. And to the extent you have confidence in their full year earnings forecast, it's trading about ten times earnings. So you know, I, I think there's maybe something interesting here. So I guess that's the question then: What's an investor to do? Because as you said, it's transitioning from this hardware focused company to a software focused company. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Is this the sort of thing that an investor should just buckle down and hold out for until? things get better or is now the time to dump shares and you just wait it out on the sidelines. I think, you know, if you're an investor, you certainly buckle down and you hold and maybe, you know, if you're somebody who's interested, you take a little bit of a nibble here. Hmm. One thing that I think is sort of consummately understated here is the extent to which IBM is entrenched with this existing customers. The nature of the hardware and software offerings they have, companies run business, you know, business critical processes from them, and so it's difficult to go ahead and switch out at the turn of a hat. Mm. And on account of that also, IBM has sort of an audience with its customers, and so they have this distribution, the sales force, and this IP, which should, in my opinion, enable them to go ahead and claw back some of what they have lost. Now, the prevailing opinion would be that they are indeed a dinosaur. It's hard to turn around such a large company. but. I think that the chances are better than 50% that they can go ahead and come out better on the other side of this. All right, good to know. Next up, let's talk about Travelers, the fifth largest property and casualty insurer in the US. Exciting stuff, JP. Definitely. I'm thrilled. Uh, Travelers just reported their second quarter. Give us the numbers. How did they do? Okay, so on the top line, the net written premiums really didn't move at all this quarter. But the further along down the financial statements you went, there was actually some good things there. So uh, net income rose by 19%. They shrunk the share count by 8%. And their combined ratio, which is a really key metric for insurers, 
was 90.8. So that's actually really good. The the industry average for property and casualty casualty insurers last year, I think it was around like 97 and lower is better. Because right. basically what it does is it, it gives you an indication for the amount of premiums that they underwrite, how much of that are they keeping. So for every dollar they're underwriting, Travelers was able to keep around, if my math is correct, like 9.2 cents. Mm-hmm. So they're doing better than the industry average in that respect. And uh, natural disasters, there weren't as many. Um, awesome. Which is good for them, and it's good for the people they're insuring, right? So there were some good things there. Um, interestingly, on the call, they mentioned that they were considering Chubb, which was bought for, what was it, Mike, like $28 billion earlier mm-hmm. this year? Mm-hmm. So um, they backed away, which is, I think, a good thing, because they basically said they they don't think that they could have gotten the returns that shareholders would have wanted. So that type of discipline is actually something that we like to see when we're looking at insurers, because we don't want them to overextend themselves. Uh, they were hurt a little bit on investment returns, but that's going to fluctuate. So we're kind of okay with that. So then, all right, so I'm certainly not an expert in the insurance business. Mm-hmm. What is the one key takeaway from this report? Uh, is it the underwriting gains? Is it the... It, it, you tell me. How about that? I think that's the one thing that, you know, that's one of the first things I always look at. What's your combined ratio? How disciplined are they going to be? Because the insurance market tends to move in cycles, right? So the market, you know, everyone starts making a lot of money. So they start, you know, loosening their terms as far as underwriting is concerned and mm-hmm. saying, we'll just rely on our investment income to make a profit they eventually overextend themselves. And so then everyone has to, you know, the market gets hard as everyone pulls back. So it's always good to see a company that's willing to stay disciplined and not kind of fall trapped to that and start loosening their underwriting standards. And you think the future is bright for travelers? It's a pretty big company, but I think they've got a pretty good management team, and they're they're being disciplined. You know, if they don't find attractive M and A opportunities, they buy back shares. It's got a two point four dividend percent dividend yield, so it you know it's reasonably attractive. All right, perfect. Uh, let's talk Toshiba really quickly. Earlier today, Toshiba's president and CEO. I'm going to ruin this name, Hisao Tanaka, resigned after the company said it had overstated its profits for the past six years. Mike, six years! And this isn't a small amount. This is (laughs) $1.2 billion, and that's only so far. Uh, How (laughs) does this happen? So, I think there are probably two answers here. The first is basically, from everything I've read, there was a toxic corporate culture at Toshiba, where, you know, you did not go ahead and question your overlords, and moreover, you hit those numbers. You hit those numbers however you needed to. And that gets to sort of the broader point here, which is to say Toshiba has a big infrastructure division. And what these guys are doing is they're doing these very complex multi-year projects where they're building out, you know, nuclear reactors right. or whatever you right. will. And so when you do this, many companies use an accounting methodology called percentage of completion. Mm-hmm. Now this gets a little bit in the weeds, but it's really critical in my opinion. And so when you use percentage of completion accounting, what you do is you will book your revenues and costs as you believe they have been recognized. Now, of course, in these multi-year projects, you don't really know what your eventual costs are going to be. And moreover, if you're an auditor, you can't verify this really. And so there's been sort of a recurrent trend among these companies where They'll go ahead and they'll fake their profits at some point or another. Companies that use percentage of completion accounting for the very simple fact that either A, they don't know, or B, because the incentives are such that they can. Hmm. 
And that's a lot. That is a significant chunk of what you've seen in this accounting restatement. I think the broader watchword here is investors need to be wary of companies that use this particular accounting methodology. If you're going to invest in a company that uses percentage of completion accounting, and these are normally large contractors, you need to be very comfortable that you're dealing with a management team you can trust. And, you know, obviously in this particular circumstance, not trustworthy. Not that no. team. Percentage mm-hmm. of completion accounting. Correct. That's mm-hmm. what you should be watching out for. Watch okay. out. Uh, shares in Toshiba actually rose 6% today, JP. Uh, it just seems like people are finally glad to have this, not solved, but they know what they're dealing with a bit more now. Yep. And you've got a new management team coming in, although not necessarily brand new. They're just bringing up the vice chairman, I believe it was, uh, from within the company. Can an investor ever really trust this company again? Or if you if you can, how long is that going to take? That's the million dollar question, isn't it? I Actually, mean, billion. Yeah, um, that billions. is true. Billion dollar. I was yes. off rounding air, right? <laughs> rounding air. They always got that. Um, yeah, that's true. Um, that is the question, right? We always spend a lot of time looking into management teams whenever we're considering a stock, and often when we go and visit a company, it's not because we're trying to get insight on you know what they think they can do in the upcoming quarters. It's, we want to see who you are. We want to see you know the corporate governance system in place personally and kind of get a feel for who's running this ship. And it is, it's going to be a big question mark, because like Mike alluded to, you know, the way things are often done over there is there's kind of a, a traditional system where you obey your superiors and what they say goes. So, you know, you can't, yes, it started at the top, but it probably made its way all the way down throughout the business. So you're cutting off the head of one hydra. You know how much is really left there. It <clears throat> remains to be seen, right? Right. I think another thing, one thing that'll be interesting on the heels of this is to see what sort of incentive mechanism they adopt. One exactly. thing that's a lot harder exactly. to fake in these companies is cash flow. You can fake profits all day. Mm-hmm. Cash flow can't fake it across the long run. Hmm. And so I'd like to see them adopt the cash flow based long term incentive mechanism. Definitely something to watch. Okay, uh, last but certainly not least, Apple is expected to announce earnings after the market closes today. Mike, we're going to talk Apple in depth tomorrow, but what's the sure. one thing uh, as an investor I should be watching for in Apple's report? So, you know, one thing I wish people would stop talking about is the watch. Um, <laughs> You're not going to get numbers on it. Sorry, I, yeah, no, I just no. couldn't care less. Um, but um, in the realm of things that I am watching, of course, the ever-important iPhone metric, because that's yep. sort of the gateway drug when you're looking at Apple products. Um, and you you want to see that growing. And more importantly, what you would really want to see is you want to see an increasing rate of first-time users, because mm-hmm. that's how people, they sort of get hooked in, where they go ahead and they load their music on it, they load their contacts, and they're like, ah. Oh. Well, this would really suck to have to go ahead and migrate yeah, it. Stuck here now. <laughs> yeah. And then the sort of tertiary, secondary or tertiary metric to that. One thing that's very interesting in the context of this sort of purported Apple ecosystem. Now, a lot of people argue maybe it's more part, greater parts a hardware company than an ecosystem or mm. software company. But one thing that's interesting in that context is even as you have seen PC sales decline, Mac sales have been surprisingly robust over the course of the past few quarters. And I think that's a testament to the broader ecosystem. And mm-hmm. so, to the extent you see strength in those Mac sales numbers, to me, that is a very strong indication that the Apple product offering is really resonating with investors. Or, I'm sorry, not investors, but customers. Right. Those two. All right. Uh, JP, what's your take on this? What, is, what should I be watching for in Apple's report? I think Mike n- hit the nail on the head there because the cornerstone still is the iPhone, right? It is. You know the linchpin. It's what gets people into it, and 
global penetration of smartphones is only around like 30% versus the U.S. where it's much higher. So I know analysts have been calling and even just everybody in general has been calling for a long time that, you know, Apple's going to slow down here. They're, you know, and they're not going to be able to keep going. But what did we see? Like, uh, 40% growth last quarter or something mm-hmm. like that. And this quarter is traditionally the, the lowest quarter as far as, as far as volume is concerned because people are getting ready for the next phone, right? But the predictions are still 40% growth year over year, which is still extremely impressive. And we now have China being their biggest market. So mm-hmm. the, the number of opportunities there are still quite large for this company. I know people are saying, you know, oh, it's so big, it can't get any bigger, but let's just wait and see what they actually do. Wait and see. I like it. All right, JP, Mike, guys, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Mark Reef. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.